1 Corinthians chapter deuce. And once you get there, we're going to stand and we're going to read the chapter together. It's only 16 verses. So you should be able to handle it. 16. Not 16. Okay, let's go ahead and stand. We'll read the chapter together and we will ask the Holy Spirit to return to this place. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However... We speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Lord, this passage with Words that repeat like wisdom, 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 and spirit, 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 and natural man, natural man. Lord, we want to uh, catch the theme of what you're getting across to us, Lord. And we long for spiritual wisdom to be imparted to us. We pray that any natural men that are in here right now, men that are not born again, men that are not Christians, men that have not uh, been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, Lord, that today you would proclaim, today you would illuminate, and today you would reveal yourself to them by the preaching of your word. And Lord, we pray, all Christians in this room pray, that you would just bring them to repentance, Lord. Lord, that they would do their end of responding to you and receiving you and, and humbly repenting of their sins. And Lord, that you would do your end of calling men to yourself in this place. Lord, even as this passage is, it's it's deep. It's, it's one of the deep things of God where we see you teach us the deep things of God. Do that here, Lord. Not with wisdom of words, not by any man, but Lord, in demonstration of the spirit and power, we rely on you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. This is uh, week three in 1 Corinthians, and if you've missed any of the previous teachings, they're on our website. You can uh, subscribe to the podcast, 
or you can download them to your MP3 player or your computer, whatever that might be. But um, we've been looking at this theme in the first two chapters of a contrast between wisdom of this world or wisdom of this age, it's the word eons in the scripture, wisdom of this age, and then wisdom that's from God. Wisdom from this age is changeable, it's temporal, temporary, it's presumptuous, it's fallible, and it's self-centered. Wisdom from above is divine, it's eternal. Uh, We see multiple times in this text today, it's enjoyed by the mature, or as your translation might say, enjoyed by the perfect. And so we look today to this wisdom that's spiritual, wisdom that is, in a sense, hidden to some. We pray it's revealed to all who are in this place this morning. The story is told of a blind turtle who lived in a well. I believe it's a true story, because another turtle, a native who lived in the ocean, went on inland travels and found himself falling into this well. As they were together in the well, the the well turtle blindly said, where are you from? And the sea turtle said, well, I'm from the sea. True story. Yeah, yeah, you get that. I'm from the sea. The blind well turtle says, well, how big is the sea? Is it this big? And he swims in a little circle. It was kind of like this because he's blind. But is it this big? If you're blind here, forgive me. And the sea turtle says, no, it's much bigger than that. And so the well turtle swam in a bit bigger. So is it this big? No, it's even bigger than that. And then finally this well turtle makes the perimeter around the well. And he says, is is it even this big? He says, oh, the sea is way bigger than this. He says, you could travel your whole life and swim as far as as your little fins could possibly take you. And you never even get half the distance. And the well turtle got a bit uh, aggravated and said, it's impossible that there could be a larger body of water than this well. You are simply praising up your native space in vain words. The same is true for us as we go out, sea turtles, we go out into this world and we try to speak to the blind. We try to speak to those that are spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, and we try to explain to them the vastness of God the vastness of God's love, the depth of his wisdom, and the riches that he wants to give those that would respond to him and respond to the good news of the gospel. But those in the world say, no, not possible. There's nothing bigger than this. I mean, even on your bed, nothing could be bigger than that. You guys are just trying to explain where you're from with these big and puffed up words. Simply not true. It's just that they're blind and they can't comprehend. We see that illustrated for us from this text. In chapter 1 of the book, we see Paul lays out the world's wisdom as far as the message that should be preached. Now, you should lay aside things like sin, blood, atonement, repentance, the cross, all right? Things like heaven and hell. Let's back off of the hell section of things. And that's all worldly wisdom. That's worldly methodology. Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. That's that's how the world sees the wisdom of the gospel. But then he goes on to say in chapter 1, But to we who are being saved, it is the, you guys getting it yet? Power of God. It's the power of God. We see that there's wisdom in the message that we preach. 
but the world and its blindness can't get it. And then in chapter 1, we also see that the world says it's, it's got its view of what the messengers of the message should look like and be like and sound like. That they should be strong and eloquent and wise. They should be something. And chapter 1 tells us that God does not choose many, some, but not many of those types of individuals. He says, rather, it's those that are weak, those that are foolish, those that are base, those that are actually nothing. God uses that he would get the glory, that no flesh would puff up itself and glory itself in his presence. Now, that's God's wisdom versus man's wisdom. In chapter 2, last week, in verses 1 through 5, we saw the method of ministry and how the wisdom of the world would say, man, you've got to just be really super wise, And you've got to trust in your wisdom, and you've got to trust in your education. And in Paul's case, he was at the Corinthians, and they wanted something like philosophy and wisdom and speak these deep things to us, like the Athenians. They wanted nothing more but to hear some new thing. Speak this to us and trust in that. And Paul says, that's not my method. He says, my method, and I determine this, is to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm going to teach to these people, they all want a sign or they all want philosophy, not going to do it. I determined to bring the gospel in its simplest form and I'm going to preach that to them. And that's the method that he preached and he ministered and something that we're gleaning for our ministry to Prineville. Not with persuasive words, but in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. Paul determined, I'm not going to know anything. But Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now he did know more than that. Great philosopher, just educated in an incredible way uh, from Tarsus, trained under Gamaliel. And uh, and yet, you know, he says, I'm not trusting in that. I'm trusting in the message of the the gospel. Let's go to verse 6, okay? So so here in chapter 2, verse 6, that all being said, the Corinthians, they want something like wise. They want some philosophy. They want you to grow a big, long white beard and just trust in that, you know? That's wise. Okay. Paul says, not going to do it in a George Bush. Okay. He says, however, that wasn't even my best George Bush. Not going to do it. No, that's not. Okay. In verse six, Paul says, however, not going to do it. However, we will speak wisdom among those who are mature, those who are mature, those that are perfect. Yet not the wisdom of this age, what the world would want to hear, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. You know, there is beautiful truth and wisdom in the scripture, in the book. This brilliant man, he was a NASA scientist named Robert Jastrow. He's passed away, and I believe he passed away dead in his sins. But he wrote that the scientists for years have been scaling the mountaintops of knowledge. And as we made the crest, what did we find there? That the theologians have been there for years. That's a secular scientist with NASA. We see that in the scriptures, there's wisdom and there's truth. And, there, and there's, there's things that you know, even speak to creation and speak to the stars and speak to the size of the earth and everything. We're, we're, you know, we're finding out that the Bible has been true in these matters. And, and yet there's this spiritual aspect of the wisdom of the scriptures. It's called spiritual wisdom or hidden wisdom in this text. And I want to give you some key points 
And sadly, I misnumbered them, so already I've got point number one, point number one. Okay, so I might lose count for you, but um, I'm going to give them to you anyways, right? The uneducated of the world don't know how to use bullet points. Okay. Spiritual wisdom, first of all, in the text, we see that it's understood only by mature, only by the mature. Now, it's interesting that however long you've been saved doesn't mean that that's how spiritually mature you are. We know that. We know that there's many people that have been saved and brought out of their sins for decades, and yet they're still babies. They've never feasted upon the meat of the word and grown in the, in the knowledge of God and in relationship with God. There's other people, and we've seen it, where they, they get saved and like, you know, next thing you know, they're like preaching the word and preaching the Bible studies and, you know, making converts and making disciples and they're serving in ministry and they're teaching, you know, and it's just like, what happened here? And we know that the deep things of God, the wisdom of God, it's, it's known in part by those, by the immature Christians. It's known not at all by the unsaved, but it's known most by those that are diving in to the deep things of God, those that are mature. And Paul says, you know what? I'm not going to speak wisdom to the Corinthians. It's not how I'm going to minister to them. But I will speak wisdom to those that are mature Christians. Now, I could already see people as I read this kind of rubbing their hands going, all right, give it to us. Give it to us, Rory. I mean, Rory, you go on and on week after week about the gospel, the gospel, the evangelion. It's the good news from the battlefield, you always say, Rory. And Rory, in the marriage series, what did you give us? Not 10 steps to heal your marriage. You kept talking about the cross. I got the cross thing down, Rory. Give me the hidden wisdom. Bring it. Friend, what you want is the wisdom of the world. All right? You see, the wisdom of God isn't something in addition to the gospel. The wisdom of God is the gospel. That's the wisdom. We see that all through the scriptures, and we're going to see that in a second in Luke 24. It's the wisdom of God and the power of God. And he says, and we speak, verse 7, the wisdom of God in a mystery. I like mysteries, I like novels. Hidden wisdom. Bring me the hidden wisdom, Rory. It's the wisdom that God had foreordained. It's something that he had from before the earth was even created that he was going to do. This is the hidden wisdom. What is it? You ready for it? Write it down. It's God's plan from the beginning of creation to send his son into his creation to redeem the creation from their rebellion. The mystery, the hidden wisdom, the spiritual wisdom, the good stuff is the message of the cross. That's it. All of your moral imperatives that you want to hear so bad, all of the just tell me what to do, Rory, I want it in 10 points. You know, I want to hear it from James Dobson's lips. Love James Dobson, great ministry, but sometimes we rest in that too much. And all of those things, they flow from Knowing the cross, knowing the cross, spending time at the cross, spending time recognizing we're sinners, spending time seeing that there's a fallen condition in human beings and it needed to be done away with. It needed to be dealt with. It needed to be paid for. And where was that done? It was done at the cross. This is the mystery of God. Jesus is the lamb that was slain from when? 
Since 33 AD. No, the scriptures tell us he's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. It was God's plan way back then in Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelion. That means the first gospel is in Genesis 3.15 where man and woman are caught in their sins, red-handed, and God lays out what he's going to do to save them from it. And he says, Eve, you're going to have a seed and he's going to come on the scene and he is going to crush the serpent's head and the serpent will bruise him. Some thousands and thousands of years later, Isaiah 53, you see the prophecy of the suffering servant. The suffering servant was going to be bruised for our iniquities, wounded for our transgressions. Look at the Psalms, Psalms 22. There's this prophecy that's word for word what happens at the cross. My hands and my feet you have pierced. Dogs have surrounded me. They cast lots for my clothing. 700 years before crucifixion was even invented, that was prophesied by David. This is all the mystery. This is all the hidden wisdom that there was going to come a man and he would be perfect and he would pour out his blood and pay the price and pay the ransom price to deliver creation from the bondage of sin and the bondage of death. Speak to me the hidden wisdom, Rory. That's the hidden wisdom. The message of the cross. Foolishness to those who are perishing. The power of God to those that are being saved. And so we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Jesus spoke in parables, right? He spoke so that those that the Lord would bring illumination, he would be the one that did it. This spiritual wisdom. It's understood by the mature, number one. Number one, part two. This wisdom is not of this world. It's divine in origin. And I love chapter one, and I don't have this book memorized uh, like any other one, but I want to say verse 26, but I'm probably wrong, where it says that it pleased the Lord. Even though the world thought it was foolishness, it pleased the Lord through the foolishness of the message preached to save many. That's the way the Lord rocks and rolls. That's the way he does it. Foolishness to the world, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to show them what's up. And so it's this hidden wisdom that God ordained before the ages for our glory, not of the world, but divine in its origin. Let's look more at this mystery. Luke 24, if you'll flip over there, it's a gospel. So it's at the beginning of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're kind of new to the Bible. We're taking a break from screen Bible so that you can come, become familiar with uh, the book and know where books are found in the, in the books are found in the book. So here's what's happening in Luke 24. Jesus had been crucified. He's risen from the dead three days later. Right after Jesus is risen, there are two men that are walking on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking about themselves, of of all that had happened that weekend, and how Jesus had been killed. And they're bummed. Their Messiah, their deliverer, had just been slaughtered and pinned to a tree. And Jesus appears to these guys, all resurrected and everything. And he says, what are you guys talking about? What are you so bummed out about? And they said, where have you been, mister? I mean, everybody was waiting for this Messiah guy, this Jesus guy, to like come and conquer the Romans and take back Israel and... I mean, we watched him do all these miracles and everything, and there he was, dead on the tree. Now he's buried somewhere. 
He's not buried. He's risen from the dead. And now Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones, in verse 25, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to himself in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He says, don't you guys understand the mystery yet? While I was with you, I spoke these things to you. I laid it out. I told you, I'm going to go. I'm going to die on the cross. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it, right? He says, you're foolish. Don't you see? And so he, man, I, one day we're all going to be in this Bible study with Jesus. He's going to show it to us, you know. But he's just said, from the beginning, from Moses, from Genesis, the Proto-Evangelion, and all the way through, and all the blood that we shed, that would be shed, and Abraham taking his son Isaac, his one and only son, whom he loved, and walking up Mount Moriah, the very same mountain that Jesus would die on the cross. Isaac packed the wood on his back and went up, and, and the Lord provided himself the lamb, and they named that place Mount Moriah. It's the place where God will provide, and blah, 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 and it just goes on and on, and it all points to Jesus, it all points to Jesus. And that's what Jesus was saying in this little Bible study that he had with these guys. And in verse 31, it says, then their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? I pray that that's what God's doing today for you guys, that your heart is burning as you're hearing of this mystery and God's plan from the beginning of time. A little bit later, Jesus appears to the rest of the disciples. And in verse 44 of Luke 24, he says to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. This hidden wisdom that certain men, they don't get it. They don't get it. And we'll see this as the study progresses today. For some, in his sovereignty, there's that level there of the mystery. He opens up their eyes. He opens up understanding that the Christian might comprehend the scriptures, might understand this mystery, the, the real wisdom, the deep wisdom, And it's for our glory we see at the end of verse 7. You know, we preach a lot. The chief end of man. The Westminster Confession. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God. Amen? That's our chief end. If you're living for anything but that, something's out of whack in your life. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We love that. We trumpet that. But we forget that God and his wise master plan to glorify himself through this plan of redemption, he also wants to include us in that. And he's worked out this mystery from the beginning of time for our glory as well. That's grace, you guys. Not one of you deserves that, myself included. The unspeakable, unsearchable blessings that God has for his people have been in his plans from the beginning of time. This mystery in verse 8, it's what none of the rulers of his age knew, or this age know. For had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. So, this spiritual wisdom, point number three, is 
renewed to secure our eternal happiness for our glory. Number four, it's there so that it's there. It's something that the rulers of this age didn't comprehend and still don't comprehend. If so, they wouldn't have killed Jesus. This human wisdom, excuse me, hidden spiritual wisdom is undiscoverable by human reasoning. That's proven in verse 8 here. The ignorance and actions of the princes of this world where they crucified the Lord of glory, crucified for our glory, they did it anyways. That's why Jesus cried out from the cross, don't hold it against them, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't get this mystery yet. It's proved to be indiscoverable by human reason, by the verse 9 coming up, the unsearchableness of God's purpose. As it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We often read this scripture and kind of use it to explain what heaven's going to be like. I've done it. Like, oh, it's going to be so awesome. Your eye, you've never seen. You've been to Hawaii, it's better than Hawaii. Have you seen Hawaii, it's better than that. Your eye can't, you know, you've never felt anything like it. You've never heard anything like it. It's incredible. And yet, that's not what Paul's getting at here. (laughs) Feel free to, to use it like that, you know. I mean, it's not like wrong, like, no, I've seen it, totally seen it. It's, you've experienced it here and. You can use it, you know, that way. But is that the context? Is that what Paul's getting at? He's all, man, this wisdom from the world, you know, it's it's fighting away and certain men can't see it. And, oh, and by the way, heaven is just awesome. I mean, have you? you, Anybody? Want to do that? He's, by the way, if you like Google search this scripture, like Old Testament, what is this? You won't find it. Because it's two different verses spliced together. He's basically not quoting verbatim, but he's, the Holy Spirit is inspiring wisdom and bringing a couple different scriptures together. Basically, as Charles Hodge says, he's, he's saying, hey, to use the language of the scripture, our human resources and our wisdom, we can't grasp what eternity will be like. We just can't grasp it. And that's what the deep things of God and the mystery of the gospel is like. All right? We look to heaven and we're like, oh, somewhere out there beneath the failure. Fivefold goes west. Or Fivefold doesn't, he just comes to, okay, part one. American tale, thank you. <laughs> Come back, Holy Spirit. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> All of that out there. We receive by faith, trusting God at his word, and we know it's going to be great, but none of us knows how great it's going to be. And it's the same thing with the gospel. It's so great. It's got to be received with faith. It's got to be received with faith and by faith. If you try to receive it with human intellect and human reasoning, you'll hit a wall, you'll hit a wall, you'll hit a wall. There'd be no power in it. And as men out there are trying to do that in their own wisdom, by their own motivation, for their own glorification, to their self-end, make themselves better, they just hit a wall, hit a wall. Can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. It's got to be spiritually done. A work of God, a work of faith in God. 
Now, what heaven, what's heaven going to be like? Or what's, you know, can't comprehend it, right? What's the gospel so deep? Can we even comprehend it? I mean, Rory, you're talking this mystery and Jesus is like showing up and doing these Bible studies to like show the mystery. Ah, how do we get it? Does anybody get it? Are you saved today? You get it. And you're gonna get it. More and more, okay? Verse 10, but God has revealed these things to us through his spirit. See, we even get a glimpse of what heaven's gonna be like. Oh, sorry, buddy, I hasn't seen, nobody knows. Well, you know what? You have the Holy Spirit in you, and he knows, and he bears witness in your heart so that when your loved one dies and goes on to be with Christ, you're comforted because you know where they are. They're in the presence of the Lord. They're in glory. It's exciting. That's good. That's comforting. God's shown it to us through his spirit. Not only that, what heaven now is like, what the kingdom now is like. There's part of the kingdom that's here. We have the comfort of the Lord. We have salvation from sins. We have miracles and signs and wonders that God does. We have the cleansing of our conscience. It's a work of heaven. We have fellowship and community. That's a work of heaven. Revelation chapter 5, have you read it? All the saints in heaven casting their crowns before the throne of Jesus, worshiping him. What do we got going on here today? The community, the gathering of the saints gathered together, throwing glory before the Lord. It's a bit of heaven now. The Holy Spirit reveals it to us. We're getting it. I want to brag about God for a second. I don't know what I was doing before, but right now I want to brag about God. You guys know Angela Draper in our church who has just severe lupus, chronic lupus. Doctors are just baffled on what to do. She's in a, she, she was in a bad place with her health, really bad. And the other day, the elders, uh, Aaron and I, representing the elders, we went with Jan and sat down with Angela and just, how can we be there for you as a church? How can we love on you? How can we serve you? What do you need? What do you want? You know, and we just went through things and practical wisdom and like, okay, yeah. And then at the end, you know, just like, okay, we're going to pray, close this meeting in prayer. And, you know, I don't even remember. I think I prayed something about healing Angela a little bit, you know, like, and Lord also, maybe you might want to heal her in Jesus name. Amen. You know, it wasn't anything like let's anoint her with oil and push her backwards or something. I don't know. Just amen. Good meeting. Praise God. We love you, Angela. Next morning, have three text messages from Jan. Call me back ASAP. Call me back ASAP. Call me back ASAP. About three hours later, I finally got back to her. And she's like, right after we left, Angela, who had been developing these lupus sores on her cheek, I saw them while I was there. They're just these brutal sores that come out and they're black and they're just excruciating. And last time she was admitted to the hospital, she had them down her mouth, down her throat, up in her nose, just excruciating pain. Pain meds can't deal with it. Seeing her in the hospital about a year ago now, just couldn't move for the pain and the swelling and just, they were gone that afternoon. <laughs> Praise God. Frank about God. Yeah. I saw them like, and I, when I was hugging her goodbye on Thursday, I was like, oh, she's just in so much pain. And, and uh, she was here first service, gone, cheeks like a baby's booty, 
just, and I was like, so like, what happened? She's like, just all my feverish swelling went away. My joints from the lupus that just get gone, you know? And it was more Angela style, like gone, it's just gone. There's so much pain. That's the kingdom now when God wants it to be now. Some of it he waits. Some of it he waits. Praise God. That's a taste. And the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. Spiritual wisdom is revealed to us. The deep things of God, the gospel. Preach the good news to those that are sick, Jesus was was told in Isaiah to do. And he says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And preaching the good news to the sick. And sometimes we get to see that now. Sometimes uses, God uses suffering more and more for his glory. And he uses that in his sovereignty. Sometimes he uses a, a more permanent healing through death to get people to glory. But we experience it here and now. All right? And we get to have this revealed to us by the spirit of God in different ways. And I love J.B. Phillips' translation he says, you know, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. You know, we just, we just got to receive it by faith. But then he goes on, but God has, through the Spirit, let us share his secret. He's let us share his secret. We know it. If you're a Christian, you know it. Jesus says in a few different places, various times, he says, I thank you, Lord, Father of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. We've got geniuses out there that have said in their heart, no God, Psalm 14, 1. And we've got a little woman on social security, disability, suffering from lupus, three children, empty cupboards, chronic pain, lupus wounds, who's healed. And Jan said it on the phone when I was talking to her. She goes, you know what? In all of this trial, Angela knows God loves her. He's real. God has revealed these things to Angela. God has shared these things. It's the Spirit's job to do that. He reveals it through our spirit. Uh, He reveals it through his spirit. The Spirit's job is to plunge the depths of who God is and reveal those things to his children. You know, Peter... After, you know, Jesus says, hey, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, hey, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter. But my father who's in heaven. So we see revelation is is done by God. And that's in this chapter, chapter two. Not only revelation is done by God, but then just a little bit later, Jesus tells the boys, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise from the dead. And, And Peter says, not so, Lord. Not going to happen. You don't have to do it that way. You don't have to die. You don't have to do what your whole plan was from the beginning of time. And Jesus is like, really? There's another way? No. He says, get behind me, Satan. All right? Flesh and blood has not revealed this. Oh, wrong scripture. Get behind me, Satan. How's it go? You are not mindful of the things of God, but mindful of the things of men. Do you see the difference? In Peter's life, right then and there, he had a, a bout of godly wisdom given by the Spirit, and then he went back and he relied on his own wisdom. And the devil was behind it. And how often we do that. That's why we need each other. 
That's why we need the word. Because one minute we're in here, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then the next minute we're like, you don't have to die on the cross for my sins. Something else we can do here. That's why we need each other. That's why in the big decisions in life, we got to be like, does this seem like wisdom? Let's pray about this together. There's the difference there. Godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And God wants to show us his wisdom. He wants to plunge the depths and show us who he is. Verse 11, for what man knows the things of man except the spirit of a man that's in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. As well as we know each other, no one knows me like me. I know those of you that are dating and like married, you're like, I know her better than she knows her. You know, it's not true. And we're talking everything. What was her favorite snack when she used to come home from school? You know, what, what really makes her laugh? You know, what, you know, only she knows that. Only he knows that. Well, what about the deep things of God? Who knows that? Only he knows that. He didn't leave us as orphans. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us as Christians. And it says in verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. I can't like take Paul's brain and stick it, you know, couple it to my brain somehow and be like, this is what makes Paul like that. And this is what he likes. And this is, you know, oh, to, to the deepest, darkest or light level of Paul. I can't do that. But... What's happened for Christians is God has taken himself and placed him in us that we can know the deepest, most beautiful things to be revealed about God. And he wants us to know those things. The Holy Spirit, we see in this chapter, is to be the power in our proclamation, verses 1 through 5. Verses 6 through 12, it needs to be the Spirit that reveals God to men. In verse 13, we see it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us. These things we speak, these deep mysteries we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. This spiritual wisdom, this is like number five. Spiritual wisdom can only be communicated by the help of the Spirit of God through the words of the Spirit of God. Peter, or excuse me, Paul says in Galatians 1 that all that he had learned about the truths of God, he didn't receive from men, nor was he taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The RSV version of this verse says that at the end, we interpret spiritual truths to those who possess the Spirit. We compare spiritual things to spiritual people. You've got to be saved. You've got to be a spiritual person. Not, I'm not talking like, I go to the mountains and just, you know, I'm very spiritual. And, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who've been born again, saved by the blood of Jesus, and have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. That's a spiritual person, all right? And only the spiritual person can have spiritual things conveyed to them. All right. So if you're trying to know God and know about God, don't try to do that in your own strength and wisdom. You need to surrender your life to God first. And then he'll show you everything about about him. And that's what this life's about. We get to know more and more about God every week, every week, every day. Comparing spiritual things 
with spiritual people. In Galatians 5, we see that spiritual people are those that walk in the Spirit. They are those that are led by the Spirit. They are those who have the fruit of the Spirit just blossoming out of their life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and love has all sorts of things, peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and goodness. All of these things are just blossoming off of the spiritual person's life. If you're going to have the truths of the scripture conveyed to you, you need spiritual discernment. It's the Holy Spirit who not only proclaims and reveals and teaches, but he is the one who illuminates the eyes and the heart to receive the things of God. In verse 14, you see that the natural man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit or the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So the unspiritual man or the natural man, the one who's not been born again, might hear the message of the gospel. He might understand the concept of the gospel, but he just doesn't get it. That's the natural man. That's where Peter was at when Jesus had to turn and say, you're not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. His discernment is askew. So when we read this verse, does it mean that the natural man does not have access to sufficient information? Does it mean that he lacks the mental powers to get the message in Paul's sermons? I don't think it means either one of those things. I think when the English language goes out and it goes into your ears, like, okay, like I'm getting the, the language here, all right? Um, I have the mental capacity to know what you mean. If that wasn't true, then Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where we see since the creation of the world, all of God's invisible attributes were clearly seen. They were understood by the people that saw him. They look at it creation. It declares his handiwork. They know there's a God. So they are without excuse, it says. These men can't be held accountable for what they never understood, like the language never went into my ear, right? Or, you know, I don't have the mental power to construe the meaning of this sermon. It's not the inability to comprehend. The natural man has an intellectual ability. If you'd never heard the gospel before and we had a guest speaker from China come in and all he did was speak in Chinese the whole time, nice guy, right? But you're just like, I did not take anything away from that right now. And maybe that's what this is like for you. And I don't blame you. You couldn't be held accountable for what you did with that message. This doesn't speak of a moral inability to judge value rightly. The natural man can interpret and read the meaning of the gospel. But when he does, here's what he does. He calls it foolishness. He says, I don't want that. I don't need that. That's ridiculous. I'm doing it my way. I'm going to be my God. This is going to be my idol. And I don't have the discernment to realize the power in the message that's read. He says, this is foolishness because it's not what I want to hear. So the problem in verse 14 is not a lack of clear speech, nor a lack of power to interpret intellectually. The problem is that when the word of the cross is spoken and touched the intellect of the natural man, 
He's interpreted it adequately. He regards it as foolishness, not gibberish. Gibberish is what they had at the Tower of Babel. You know, when everyone's language was confused and they're like, you know, and it's like, whoa, no comprendo, amigo. Yo voy a la south, okay? And they split up and went to different parts of the world. That was gibberish. I don't get what you're saying. This, they're saying, that's foolishness. I get it, don't want it. All right? Who are these individuals that refuse to receive this message of justification from sin, sanctification, propitiation, atonement? Big words. They don't understand worship, singing to God. That is just so dumb. But they'll go to, you know, Kenny Chesney concerts and wrap their t-shirt around their head and be like, you know, (laughs) they don't understand prayer. Hey guys, we're going to make a circle. We're going to just pray to Jesus for like an hour and a half. (laughs) Are you serious? Ridiculous. It's those individuals who want to just glory in themselves and live for themselves rather than in God. In Matthew 21, the story is told of Jesus comes into the temple and it's the chief priests and the elders that come to him and, and try to trick him. And these are the people that should be like, oh, it's you, the Christ, we've been waiting for you. Yeah. But no, it wasn't. These guys were still blinded They hadn't been illuminated. And they asked, what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority, Jesus? And Jesus says, I'll ask you one thing. And if you tell me, I'll tell you. But if you don't tell me, we have no deal. And so they said, okay. He says, the baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves and used manly worldly wisdom. And they said, If we say from heaven, he'll say, well, then why didn't you believe John the Baptist? But if we say from men, we're afraid of these multitudes because they all count John as a prophet and they'll come and kill us all. And so they said, we do not know. And they lied to the son of God because they wanted what they wanted. It's exactly what's happening here. People who care nothing about the truth, just themselves. So the individual who sits under the sound teaching of the word needs to be illuminated by the spirit of God to be able to see the mystery. And once they do, their responsibility is to receive or reject. And they'll be held accountable for what they do with that message. Many people sit there on a Sunday morning and the message just doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense. Pray right now if that's you. Lord, would you illuminate Would you illuminate so I can understand this? But this very verse of 14 tells us that the unspiritual man does not possess in and of his own faculties, by his own nature, the necessary resource to recognize, appreciate, or welcome what the Spirit of God proclaims through the Word of God. Slightly discouraging if you're a preacher, because you're like, man, I'm out there and I'm preaching, and it's like, these people aren't illuminated to it. So that's where prayer comes in. Lord, would you open up the doors? Lord, would you open up the blind? As the message of the cross goes forth in the spirit and power of the Lord, let them have it revealed to them. Let there be illumination through the proclamation and the revelation, right? 
Spiritual wisdom proclaimed by the Spirit, revealed by the Spirit, taught by the Spirit, and illuminated by the Spirit. It's only enjoyed by those who are spiritually enlightened, those who are born again. Verse 15, there's only 16 verses, we're almost done. He who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is as rightly judged by no one. So those who are spiritually enlightened get this spiritual wisdom. And you see, they are those who judge all things. See, we are to judge, all right? Don't take that Matthew 7, 1 verse and be like, judge not, judge not, judge not. We've, been, we've studied that a lot in this church. We're not to condemn people. That's the Lord's job. But we are to speak into people's lives. We are to be fruit bearers or fruit judgers. We're to speak into each other's lives and encourage and exhort and admonish one another. There is that level within the Christian life. And so that's what it means here. If you're spiritual, you're walking in the spirit, you're led by the spirit, you have the fruits of the spirit, you're going to be judging all kinds of things. This very book tells us that. But he himself is rightly judged by no one. Those people out in the world, they're not understanding where we're from because they haven't been illuminated by the spirit of God. So blessed and, dare I say, proud of my son, who's an evangelist, and he preaches Jesus to everyone, you know, and sometimes I'm like, he's going to do it, he's going to do it, there you go, you know, you know, he's just like, do you love Jesus? Does your great-grandpa love Jesus? Did he love Jesus when he was a soldier in the Civil War? Literally, that was yesterday's conversation with this guy, Um, you know, and sometimes I'm like, "Ah!" (laughs) I'm like, yeah, do it, but here we go, you know, and, uh, and it's just so cool. He's been told twice this week by his kindergarten teacher that he can't talk about Jesus at school. And it's like, praise God, right? When you're being persecuted, it means you're doing something right. All right? And here's little Russell. And so we were like, Russell, I, we've researched, buddy. You can. You can talk about Jesus. Don't disrupt class. Get your work done. But in the free times, you can talk about Jesus. So he went up to his teacher. My mom and dad said I can talk about Jesus. No, you can't. <laughs> You know, and it's like, okay, we've got worldly wisdom. It's like, don't do that here, you know, and freedom between church and state and all that. It's like, well, thank you for protecting the church from the state because really that's what it's about. But really, we've got wisdom from above that says, go unto all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That's wisdom. Seems like foolishness to the world, but a six-year-old gets it. I thank you, Lord, that you have not revealed these things to the, to the wise and the strong, but to the babies. I pray he would reveal these things to us today. Verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Again, kind of that, that same, you know, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, but God's revealed it to you. Who has known the mind of the Lord that they should like, you know, counsel him or something. We're not going to counsel God, obviously, but we know the mind of the Lord. Why? Because if you've been born again, you are given the mind of Christ. It's part of the new covenant that the Lord is going to take your heart of stone out and he's going to put in a heart of flesh that beats and can know God. And no longer will a man say, this is Jeremiah 33, no longer will a man say to his neighbor, hey, know God. Because his neighbor will know God. He'll have the mind of Christ. Let's press into that. 
We're gonna have the worship team come up. And as we do, flip to Ephesians. This chapter two of 1 Corinthians, we've got this plunging of the depths of God that the Holy Spirit does. And he reveals to us the things that he's had for us from the beginning of the world that we could be partakers of glory Right, so that, that, I want to call that the riches of God that, that the Spirit shows us. There's also, we've studied today, the mystery of God. That's the gospel. That's the real hidden wisdom. And Ephesians, I was led to read Ephesians yesterday, and I just was highlighting these passages where we see the riches of God to those who've been redeemed. We see the mystery of God in the gospel. And I want to just summarize by just scanning chapters 1 through 3. Okay, go to Ephesians 1, verse 5. Here are, I want to give you three different riches. In in verse 5, he's predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Think of an orphan, no mom, no dad, poor, hungry, lonely, unloved, that's you. But God, he and his sovereignty predestined you to be adopted, to come home. That's richness. In verse six, he made us accepted in the beloved. Have you ever felt like an outcast? I moved 13 times before I graduated high school. My seventh grade year, I was trying to make some friends. I thought I'd found a good group. I'm walking around with them. There's another new guy there with us. We're walking around and the team leader turns around and goes, why are you following us? Actually, I'm not like this. Hey, new guy, you want to be friends? Okay. Rejected. That hurts. Have you been there? Are you there now? In Christ, you are accepted in the beloved. That's richness, friends. Verses seven through eight. We've been redeemed through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace that he made abound towards us. You got sin in your life? You know what you did. You know, you know what you've done, forgiven. Is that awesome? Is that richness? Here's some mystery for you. Are you ready for it? Chapter one, verses nine and 10. He's made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and that are on earth in him. So some mystery for you, God is going to bring everything back to him and make it all right again, right? We're going to see the completion of that one day. Ready for some more riches? Who wants some treasures? Okay, I'm giving them to you. Chapter one, verse 11, in him you've obtained an inheritance. Have your parents die and you didn't get an inheritance? My dad died when I was 19. And our ranch, which at one point was one of the largest ranches in the Northwest, was in uh, bankruptcy. And they came and they took almost all of my dad's life insurance from my mom and and most of the inheritance that we were going to receive, gone. We can't trust in worldly stuff like that. It could be gone tomorrow, all right? And if if someone doesn't take it, you're going to spend it and it's going to be gone, all right? We have an inheritance in Jesus. Elsewhere in the scripture says, incorruptible in the heavens. Riches, you guys. 
Verse 13 of chapter 1, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise when you get saved. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Do you get the rubber stamp out? Bam! Guarantee on your forehead if you're a Christian. That's rich. You quit worrying about, am I saved or am I not saved? This morning I woke up and I didn't feel saved. Yesterday I was kind of saved. Hey, you love Jesus? Has he washed you with his blood? Do you have faith that he's done that? Rest in that. Guarantee on your forehead. Okay. The mystery. Chapter 1, verse 17. He prays, Paul prays, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to you the spirit of wisdom. This is what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 2. Lord, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? There's some mystery in there for you and there's some riches all coupled in one. There is richness, glory, inheritance if you're a saint today. Chapter two, verses one through seven. You know, we're not gonna read that whole passage, but just check this out. You he made alive who were dead in sin. Anybody ever been dead and come alive again? Would that be a blessing? Like, bing. Hey, that's kind of cool. That's a richness. You were dead in sin. For all of eternity, you were going to hell. The wrath of God was upon you. He made you alive. Aren't you glad you came up here for this? Yeah? Okay. Yeah. How are they doing? Okay. Look at verse 4 of chapter 2. God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Again, you're dead. He made you alive with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's a richness for you, friend. Here's some mystery, chapter three, verse two. If indeed you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which he's given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I've briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it's now been revealed by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. You guys want some mystery and some blessing right now? The mystery that nobody on the Old Testament got is something we read about in Romans chapter 12, that Israel, this olive tree, was going to have this wild olive tree grafted into it called Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, that's you. That's me. And some mystery and riches for you is we get to be partakers of the fatness of the olive tree of Israel in its blessings and in its promises and in its future glory by the grace of God. There's some mystery for you and some riches for you. Chapter three, we'll just do verses 18 and 19 and we're done. Got it? Let's stand. This is my prayer over you this morning. Out of all that we studied in Chapter 2, this is our prayer, 318. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you're here today 
and Christianity to you has just been so stinking foreign. Like, come on. What is this? I would rather be doing 6,000 different things. You may not be born again. You may not have had the spirit of God open your eyes to see. All of these things that we do, it's spiritually discerned and we love it. To those on the outside, it's foolishness. Come on. And God in his grace has brought you here to show you it's a mystery. You're not going to get it just looking at it with your eyes. You need me. You need faith. But you got to humble yourself and receive. Receive today. The Holy Spirit is calling you today to receive and to say, Lord, open up my eyes. And you know what? He'll open up your eyes just like he did Jesus with those other guys. Open up your eyes to comprehend. Open up your eyes. You'll comprehend. You'll get it. And you'll love it. Has anyone been there? Has anyone been there? I've been there. Church kid right here doing, I would do uh, Sunday school. Load up my bike so that I could ride home after first service. So I didn't have to stay for second service. That was me. I don't want to be here anymore. It's my birthday, mom. You're staying here. Okay. Has anybody been there? Like, I don't want this. And then, but God, and here I am. Guys, don't miss out. But you need to surrender to the call of God right now upon your life. And right now where you're at, if that's you, you need to respond somehow. And I'm gonna call you right now to just lift up your hand and to just say, Rory, you're talking about me? I haven't gotten this Christian thing. I don't understand church. I've just, Jesus, just, ah, who is that guy? I need to be illuminated right now or Lord, illuminate me, show me. I wanna be born again. I wanna have the Holy Spirit just lighten up my eyes so I can see. I wanna be forgiven of my sins. I wanna have the Holy Spirit come and dwell in me that I can plunge the depths of the deep things of God and bring up these treasures. I wanna know what is the height and depth and width and breadth of God. Is there anybody right now? Lift up your hand right now where you're at. Don't wait. Right now, respond to Jesus and watch what he'll do in your life. Can I get an amen from anyone that's experienced that? Amen. amen. You won't miss out. You won't, uh, it won't be vain in your life. It'll be glorious. It'll be powerful. Anybody at all. You want to be born again. You want to have the Holy Spirit of God come and live in you and empower you. You want to experience the kingdom of God now on this earth. Where you're at, lift up your hand. Don't be surprised if you don't experience the kingdom of God. If you're not going to respond, you're going to continue on in blindness. So lift up your hand right now. Lord, that's me. Maybe you would hear the Holy Spirit just say to you today, hey, I want you to know you're saved right now. You are saved, but you're immature. I want to plunge the depths of who your God is. Let me mature you. And you would just respond today and say, Lord, mature me. 
I want the, the hidden wisdom spoken into my life. I need to be mature. We're going to take communion. We're going to close in a song. We're going to do what the world would say is just absolutely ridiculous. We're going to get a teeny cup of juice and a little cracker, and we're going to take it into us as a symbol of, Lord, I want all of you in me. I receive all that you've had to say today. And you paid for it with your blood and your body. And I'm thankful for that, Lord. Plunge the depths of who you are in my life. Come forward today, get the elements of communion. If you're resistant to God right now, I am not gonna respond. I'm not gonna, that's, hey, you have no place in taking communion right now. In fact, this very book, 1 Corinthians, will say you drink wrath upon yourself. Until you're gonna yield your life to Christ and receive what he paid for with his blood and body, don't partake. But the good news, right now you can surrender. Right now you can be forgiven. Your sins can be washed clean and you can partake in the inheritance, the glory, the comforts, the privileges, the adventure, that is Jesus. Let's take communion. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.